Good evening. And welcome to the Pratt Library. I am Vivian Fisher of the African American Department here at the Pratt Library. And it is my honor to introduce to you this evening our speaker, Charles Belfort. Belfort is a New York Times best-selling author and architect who lives in Westminster, Maryland. A graduate of the Pratt Institute and Columbia University, he practices historic preservation as both an architect and consultant. The Paris Architect is his first novel, and his latest work is House of Thieves. Belfort has written architectural histories, including Monuments to Money, The Architect of American Banks, and Edmund Lind, Anglo-American Architect of Baltimore and the South. He is a co-author of Nearsey and Nielsen, Architects of Baltimore, and The Baltimore Row House. The recipient of a grant from the James Marston Fitch Charitable Foundation and the Graham Foundation, Belfort has won multiple awards for his books from the Maryland Historical Trust. The journal book list has dubbed him an up-and-coming Ken Follett. Please join me in welcoming Charles Belfort to the Pratt Library to discuss his new novel, House of Thieves. Thank you very much uh, for inviting me to the Pratt Library, and thank you for coming out tonight. Uh, as you heard, uh, I'm actually trained as an architect. Uh, I had no writing background at all, and I first started doing architectural histories, the first being co-writing the Baltimore Row House and then doing other stuff uh, on Baltimore architecture, and then another book on uh, American bank architecture. And I decided that I would give uh, fiction a try. And I found that I like doing fiction because you just made up stuff out of your imagination. And writing fiction was far less stressful than being an architect. I mean, you don't have all that responsibility. You just sit and make up stuff out of your head. And I really enjoyed doing that. And so I had written the first book, uh, The Paris Architect which is about an architect who designs hiding places for Jews um, escaping the Germans in World War II Paris. And uh, that actually got published and it got, you know, actually sold some copies there. So I decided, well, I'm going to try writing a, uh, a second book. Now, when you write a first book, you go through this process of getting a literary agent and then uh, submitting the books to publishers. And in my case, because I was a first-time author and I was an architect, not a, like a for-real writer, I got rejected time and time and time again until finally someone took a chance on me. And, but with the second book, it's different because the publisher who takes on the first book has the writer first refusal on the second book. So you don't have to go through this hell of getting rejected, you know, a dozen times. So what happened was I decided to write another book, which is called House of Thieves, and I submitted it to the publisher, and they accepted it. So I didn't have to go through this ordeal, and so I had a, a second book in the works, and that came out in September 
uh, this past September 15th. Uh, when I started writing fiction, I decided that uh, architecture would be the basis of all the plots. Just like lawyers like John Grissom based legal profession uh, you know, on, their, on their plots, uh, I decided that I would try doing architecture. So uh, I had uh, written the first book and then wanted to write the second book. And in, in many cases, you stumble across an idea uh, for the book. In the, the, the case of the Paris architect, I came across these things called priest holes in Elizabethan England when uh, Catholicism was banned and priests would be uh, arrested and executed for saying mass. So they had to say mass out in secret out in these manor houses. And if the Queen's soldiers raided the house, they were tipped off, these, uh, the priests would jump into these ingeniously designed temporary hiding places which were built and designed by these carpenters. And so it was an actual historic fact. And so I just transposed the idea to, uh, to uh, World War II Paris, because that interested me more than Elizabethan England. So, and I just stumbled across that idea for the book. So with the second book, House of Thieves, I stumbled across uh, an idea that, uh, that, really, uh, that really interested me. I came across this character um, named George Leslie. He had come from a wealthy family uh, in, from the Midwest, and he had come to New York to practice as an architect. This was in the late 1860s and the early 1870s. But after a few years, he gave up his architectural practice to become a criminal, to become a bank robber, because it was far more lucrative than being an architect. And also, he enjoyed doing something evil. He enjoyed being bad, being a criminal and associating with people you know, from the gangs of New York, that type of you know, setting there, these uneducated sociopaths, you know, criminal, career criminals, who uh, you know, had no sense of right or wrong. And he loved being around these people. So he led a double life. He was still a society guy. He still had some wealth. And he would uh, associate with the wealthy of New York. But in the other side of his life, he would, um, he would go and meet with these gangs to plan robberies of banks. That's what his specialty was, was to plan these very intricate robberies of banks in Manhattan. And he was quite successful at it. He made quite a bit of money until in 1878 he was, uh, he was murdered by one of his own uh, uh, gang because he was fooling around with the wife of one of the gang members and they found his body floating in the Hudson River. And so this really intrigued me. I had uh, also had this other inspiration that I was always thinking about writing a book about. Uh, when I was a young man back I was practicing in Connecticut and I had done a, uh, in the late, uh, late 1980s, I had done an addition for this guy in East Haven, Connecticut. And when I got into doing the work, I discovered that this guy was an underboss in the New England Mafia. And so I had, I had no choice. I just stuck with the job. There was no one I could come, go to complain to or certainly not quit on the guy. So I worked with this, this guy. Uh, the, the New England Mafia is run out of Providence, Rhode Island. And so uh, 
uh, this man was of Italian extraction, and so uh, uh, he had this house, and he was going to move out of it and give it to his son and daughter-in-law, and then he was going to move into an apartment, and uh, they wanted to enlarge it, and that's where I came in, where I um, designed an addition and then went through the construction management of building the thing. And so the guy lived in the house during the whole time, and he was there every day, you know, yelling at contractors. He had a volatile temper. And so uh, one day I asked him, well, you know, God, you know, you're here like every day. And he says, well, I work nights. And so uh, uh, he, uh, he was there the whole time. And, uh, and I always got along with this guy. You know, he never really screamed at me like he screamed at the other people. And then the job was finally done. It was just a very modest addition. And uh, three weeks after the job was finished, I walk past a newspaper kiosk and I see the client's face, Billy was his name, on the cover of the, of the newspaper. And it was his mugshot from prison. And it turned out he had been murdered by his own crew because they didn't like him. They hated him so much because of his temper. He had really poor people skills. And so his crew uh, decided to kill him. And within the New England Mafia, you know, other people sanctioned it because they hated him too. But I always liked the guy. I always got along with him, and he liked me. And so I was sort of sorry that he had been um, shot in the back of the head and his body thrown into the Connecticut River. So that had been an idea for a book. And I was going to write a, a separate book about that. But then I decided, well, this is sort of about the underworld. I can blend it in to the second book, House of Thieves. So for the House of Thieves, the House of Thieves is about a society architect in 1886 New York. He's forced to join a criminal gang to plan robberies of the buildings that he's designed in order to pay off his son's massive gambling debts to, the, to an underworld gang. If the son doesn't pay off, his son gets murdered. So his father really has no choice but to turn criminal. So I just done a twist on this character, George Leslie, to create a, uh, a plot. And so that was the premise. And then also, I have the society architect, as he's working with the gang, he discovers that he likes being a criminal. He likes robbing things. He likes being in a house or a building, stealing things, with the sense that he could be caught at any second. It's this really wonderful ecstasy that he gets from robbing things. So he likes being a criminal. He enjoys it. And then in, uh, in other, uh, his other parts of his family, uh, his wife and his other two children, I have them have some connection to the underworld where they lead society lives and then they have friends or a connection to the underworld. So all of the family leads a double life besides the father who's really just doing this to save his son, to pay off this huge gambling debt. So, and I stumbled across that idea. That's how these things happen. And I, uh, I wrote the book, and uh, like I said, I didn't have to peddle it to publishers. It was just picked up by the first publisher, and that was a big deal. So I, uh, I'm working on a third book, and again, it's about architecture um, in uh, 
with the basis of the plot. It's set in Edwardian London in 1905, and uh, uh, I'm working on that, hoping to finish that in the spring. Uh, like I said, writing is very, very pleasurable. It's very, uh, 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 very, very um, pleasant thing to do. I sit in my basement and just type away, and I don't have to go and look at buildings or deal with government officials or building codes or anything like that. I can just write. Architecture is, uh, is an art form in itself, just like writing or painting, okay? But in architecture, what the architect designs, he produces all these drawings and everything, it has to be transformed into a three, real three-dimensional object, okay? That's not the case with a painting or a three-dimensional object that really has a function. That's not the case with a novel. You write a novel, you write a novel, and you have the manuscript and you get it published, and, or you do a painting, okay? And you have lots of creative freedom. With an architect, you're not the person who's paying for the building, and so you have to get someone also to construct the building. So it's a completely different creative process than writing. The writer sits down and writes the whole thing out himself, uh, he or she does, and it gets published or it doesn't. Now, with, uh, uh, with architecture, there's some disadvantages. If a novel is unsuccessful, if it just plain is no good, okay, it just goes out of print and no one hears from about it anymore. It just disappears. But if an architect does a bad building, okay, it sits there on the corner of some street for the next 50 to 100 years. It doesn't disappear like the novel or if a painting just gets thrown away or gets put into uh, storage. So architecture and writing are two different cre uh, creative processes. Um, because an architect has to produce a real object that has to be built. And that's the biggest difference. Now writers never agree with that. They always say, oh, writing is difficult and this and that. That's why I never get along with writers at these writing festivals I get sent to. And so uh, they, don't like, uh, they don't like that fact about uh, the difference between architecture and writing. And so uh, they don't understand the, the angst and the, the problems that architects have. But, uh, because most people don't really don't understand the whole process of architecture. So um, that's the biggest difference between architecture and, and writing or writing a poem or something. It's just a whole different, um, a whole different scheme, a whole different process of, of, of creating something. But architecture is a creative art, just like uh, novel writing is. So um, I uh, will continue to do it because it's, it's fun. And it's, uh, like I said, it's far less stressful than being an architect. And uh, I uh, will just keep doing it. Even if the books don't sell, I'll just keep doing it because it's sort of a pleasurable thing. It sort of became sort of a hobby that evolved into something real that actually, actually made a little bit of money. And so uh, that was a big surprise to me because when I started writing the, the book, the first book, I didn't think anybody would buy the book, and so it was just the opportunity to get um, get a, uh, a book published. So um, in the House of Thieves, 
Uh, I uh, will see how that does. It's interesting, I had all these high hopes for the first book to get a movie deal because all writers want a movie deal because that's the big payoff. That's, that's the big score. And so what happened on the, uh, the first book is that what happens, you get an, a movie studio options the book. And so you get the book, uh, you give the studio a right for a year for a small amount of money you know, for them to get the financing for the book. And so uh, I thought that you know, everybody would want to make a movie of the first book. But it wasn't the case at all. And so it was the second book that actually got more attention. And, you know, that came as a, a shock to me. And just, it was probably maybe like a month ago, I got a, a television deal for House of Thieves. With, uh, with, the right, with the director who did the Hunger Games movies. And so I couldn't believe that you know, they'd want you know, to do a television series you know, of that you know, compared to doing the first book. But it's in the works, and so it's not a done deal. It's the same thing as they, they give you, uh, you had give them an option, and they pay you a little bit of money, and then they have to get the financing for it. So... Uh, uh, because people always ask me, well, is, is there going to be a movie made out of the book or a TV series? And so in both cases, uh, there's the possibility because these things fall through at a moment's notice. Very, very few novels get made into movies or television series. It's very, very rare for that to happen, you know, considering all the, the novels that have been written. And so, um, so we'll just see what happens there. So... Like I said, I'll keep on uh, writing with architecture as the basis of the plots or an architect as the, uh, the protagonist. And I'll just see what happens there. So thank you very much. If you have any questions, there's a microphone right there. So please step up. very good presentation. I like the idea of a movie and or a television series. Who would you have as the, an actor or actress that you would have in mind? To pe pe people always ask me that. Who do I have in mind to be Thank in you. the television series or the movie? I, I, I'm so grateful that anyone would even want to do it that I really don't care who they do it. If it was Bugs Bunny in the role, I wouldn't care. As long as the thing actually got made, uh, I have uh, I have very little uh, influence uh, in those decisions. When you option or sell the rights to a movie or to a television series, you give up all creative control. They can do whatever they want. Even in publishing, the cover of the books that you see, the titles, I had nothing to do with that. They made all the decisions themselves. The book was, um, the first book was sold for the audio rights to Random House. And they, they made all the decisions about who was going to read the book, you know, in the tape. I had absolutely nothing to do. Someone calls me up from Los Angeles saying, I'm the producer of this audio tape. Um, how do you pronounce your last name? And I tell them, he says, okay, thanks. He says, if we have any questions, 
we'll give you a call. So you never hear from the people for like, you know, months and months and months. And then they even forgot to send me, like, they always give you free samples of the tapes, and they forgot to send me the free samples. And it wasn't until someone told me, you know, your book is out on tape. And I said, really? And I didn't know anything about it. So I don't, anybody would do. Anybody would do. Maybe someone British, classy or something like that. But what happens is that you have to get someone like someone like Leonardo DiCaprio or someone like that who has lots of clout because he can get the financing for the, uh, the movie. If there's some unknown actor, it's going to be really tough. But for a television series, all these television series that they have now on TV or in Netflix, the people, you've never heard of these people, you know, and it's like their first starring role. But that's okay with me, as long as I see that up on the screen. Yes. Thank you. I enjoyed the talk, too. Can, I enjoyed hearing about the mechanics of how you did things. Can you tell us, I assume going to architecture school, you didn't have courses in creative writing and syntax and such. When you write all this business and you send your manuscript into the, your publisher, do they give you an editor who says, that's paragraph is wrong and you reword this? Do they have an editor who fine, goes through your stuff with a fine-tooth comb and you get angry with them? Yeah, well, what happened was when I first wrote the manuscript of the first book, I had no writing background, so I had to hire an editor, a freelance editor, out of you know, money out of my own pocket to give me an appraisal you know, and, and to see whether the thing was publishable. Because uh, people always say, well, did you show the, uh, the book to your, uh, to your wife or your daughter or something? Well, that doesn't count because family are never going to tell you the thing stinks because they don't want to, to cause bad feeling within the family. If they hate the book, they're always going to say it's very interesting. You know, that's, that's what they're going to say. So uh, to your question is, first I had to get a freelance editor to clean the thing up. And then uh, when the book finally was sold to a publisher, they assigned a, uh, an editor to it who would send you, they'll say, we, we really love your book. And then they send you 10 pages of these comments of everything that has to be fixed on it. I mean, you have to go all over and check out everything. And then they try to clean it up a little bit. But... In this whole process, I really suffered because I didn't have a creative writing background. Publishers can look at a manuscript, the first few pages of the manuscript, and see that it, it, it's unpolished. It doesn't have that craft to it, that polish to it. And so that's in your, uh, your, you, to your disadvantage. And so lots of times when it gets rejected, that's one of the reasons. It's just not crafted well enough. But finally, when someone takes a chance on you, they'll give you the editor, assign you the editor, and you'll spend months going back and forth, back and forth, correcting stuff and polishing stuff and moving things around there. So uh, when, I, when I first got the comments back, my first reaction was, well, what the hell are they talking about? This is perfect. This manuscript is perfect. And then, then I calmed down a little bit, and I said, well, wait a minute. Every one of these little revisions or suggestions makes the book better, you know, and it raises the book to a higher level. And so I realized that an editor was really uh, valuable. And so on the second book, I welcomed all the 
the uh, suggestions and the criticisms. And so it wasn't like the first time around. So, uh, but uh, yeah, they tear right through the book. You know, and they make you chop things or, you know, develop a character better. But, uh, and I wish I had more, I had a creative writing background. It would have helped me, you know, in selling the book a lot sooner instead of going through a dozen rejections of the damn thing. Uh, you said earlier in your talk that uh, being a writer was less stressful than being an architect. Mm -hmm. And then you went on to describe Billy, uh, you know, the mafia guy, and his job as a criminal. He's the basis for your character, and that character also finds the being a criminal less stressful than being an architect. I don't know if there's any other architects in the room, but you seem to, to paint a picture of the architect life as one of the most stressful it could be. And yeah, I wonder in the future maybe you would have a character that's an architect that didn't seem stressed at all about the profession. I don't know if that's even humanly possible, but uh, you see, when an architect designs something, you know, like this room, he has to make sure that this, the beam here doesn't collapse on top of you. And so, you know, he's always scared about that or something, something catastrophic. In my third novel, I have a, a, an architect whose uh, balcony in a music hall collapses and kills a score of people. And so that's the worst nightmare. See, a writer doesn't have to deal with anything like that. The, the, the words don't come off the paper and stab you in the chest or something or, or hit you in the eye and physically hurt you, okay? They can, you know, mentally abuse you, but they can't actually physically you know, put a hole in your torso or something or crush your skull in like you know, a, a piece of architecture could. So, um, yeah, I, I'll probably always have architects as, 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 as stressful artists because there is the liability, there is that responsibility that, um, that writers don't, or painters don't have. So I'll always probably have some aspect of that in the, uh, in the books. Any other questions tonight? Hello, how are you doing? Uh, thank you for your presentation. It, it is interesting. I wanted to know if you have any idea on what the future of books are with all this digital stuff. Because it would, it would occur to me that they could just put your book on a computer, and if nobody read it, they wouldn't have to bother printing it. They could move on to something else. You know what I mean? Yeah, at first I thought that e-books would overwhelm hard copy books. But what happened in the last two years is that ebook sales uh, uh, sort of buy or, or leveled off, and hard copies rose a little bit. And there's certain people who, uh, like I was talking to my doctor. My doctor said that there there's certain neuro neurotransmitting reasons that people prefer to read a real book in front of them instead of reading the thing on a tablet or on a Kindle. And so, um, in terms of your questions, I think what's going to happen is that it's going to be sort of like 60% e-books and still 40% regular books. I don't think e-books are going to sweep away hard copy books at all because it's just a preference. Remember when um, movies on tape came out? 
you know, which became DVDs, you know, VHS. People said, well, no one's ever going to go to the movies ever again. You know, they're never going to have any movie theaters anymore. Well, that's not true. People go to the movies, you know, stills a lot more, you know, and so they like that experience. And so people like the experience of holding a book and flipping through the pages and marking it or, you know, underlining something. And they like that feeling, uh, you know, better than, you know, working with the Kindle there. So um, I don't think that technology is going to sweep away the old, you know, the old books at all. Well, thank you very much for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. I didn't take up much of your time. Good night. For those of you who are interested, there are books outside for sale, and Mr. Belfort will be signing books at the end of the hallway. So please go out and purchase your books. Thank you.